Section 42 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 5, by Henry Gray. The Ductless Glands. There are certain organs which are very similar to secreting glands, but differ from them in one essential particular. That is, they do not possess any ducts by which their secretion is discharged. These organs are known as ductless glands. They are capable of internal secretion, that is to say, of forming, from materials brought to them in the blood, substances which have a certain influence upon the nutritive and other changes going on in the body. This secretion is carried into the bloodstream, either directly by the veins, or indirectly through the medium of the lymphatics. These glands include the thyroid, the parathyroids and the thymus, the pituitary body and the pineal body, the chromophyll and cortical systems to which belong the suprarenals, the paraganglia and aortic glands, the glomus caroticum, and perhaps the glomus coccygium. The spleen is usually included in this list, and sometimes the lymph and hemolymph nodes described with the lymphatic system. Other glands, as the liver, pancreas, and sexual glands, give off internal secretions, as do the gastric and intestinal mucous membranes. The thyroid gland, glandula, thyroidea, thyroid body. The thyroid gland is a highly vascular organ situated at the front and sides of the neck. It consists of right and left lobes connected across the middle line by a narrow portion, the isthmus. Its weight is somewhat variable, but is usually about 30 grams. It is slightly heavier in the female, in whom it becomes enlarged during menstruation and pregnancy. The lobes, lobuli, glanduli, thyroidea, are conical in shape, the apex of each being directed upward and lateralward, as far as the junction of the middle with the lower third of the thyroid cartilage. The base looks downward, and is on a level with the fifth or sixth tracheal ring. Each lobe is about five centimeters long. Its greatest width is about three centimeters, and its thickness about two centimeters. The lateral or superficial surface is convex, and covered by the skin, the superficial and deep fascia, the sternocleidomastoideus, the superior belly of the omohyoideus, the sternohyoideus and sternothyroideus, and beneath the last muscle by the pretracheal layer of the deep fascia, which forms a capsule for the gland. The deep or medial surface is molded over the underlying structures. These are the thyroid and cricoid cartilages, the trachea, the constrictor pharyngeus inferior and posterior part of the cricothyroideus, the esophagus, particularly on the left side of the neck, the superior and inferior thyroid arteries, and the recurrent nerves. The anterior border is thin and inclines obliquely from above downward toward the middle line of the neck, while the posterior border is thick and overlaps the common carotid artery and, as a rule, the parathyroids. The isthmus, isthmus glanduli thyroidea, connects together the lower thirds of the lobes. It measures about 1.25 centimeters in breadth and the same in depth and usually covers the second and third rings of the trachea. Its situation and size present, however, many variations. In the middle line of the neck, it is covered by the skin and fascia, and close to the middle line, on either side, by the sternothyroideus. Across its upper border runs an anastomotic branch uniting the two superior thyroid arteries. At its lower border are the inferior thyroid veins. Sometimes the isthmus is altogether wanting. A third lobe, of conical shape, called the pyramidal lobe, 
frequently arises from the upper part of the isthmus, or from the adjacent portion of either lobe, but most commonly the left, and ascends as far as the hyoid bone. It is occasionally quite detached, or may be divided into two or more parts. A fibrous or muscular band is sometimes found attached above to the body of the hyoid bone, and below to the isthmus of the gland, or its pyramidal lobe. When muscular, it is termed the levator glanduli thyroidiae. Small detached portions of thyroid tissue are sometimes found in the vicinity of the lateral lobes or above the isthmus. They are called accessory thyroid glands, glanduli thyroidii accessorii. Development The thyroid gland is developed from a median diverticulum, which appears about the fourth week on the summit of the tuberculum impar, but later is found in the furrow immediately behind the tuberculum. It grows downward and backward as a tubular duct, which bifurcates and subsequently subdivides into a series of cellular cords, from which the isthmus and lateral lobes of the thyroid gland are developed. The ultimobranchial bodies from the fifth pharyngeal pouches are enveloped by the lateral lobes of the thyroid gland. They undergo atrophy and do not form true thyroid tissue. The connection of the diverticulum with the pharynx is termed the thyroglossal duct. Its continuity is subsequently interrupted, and it undergoes degeneration, its upper end being represented by the foramen cecum of the tongue, and its lower by the pyramidal lobe of the thyroid gland. Structure. The thyroid gland is invested by a thin capsule of connective tissue, which projects into its substance, and imperfectly divides it into masses of irregular form and size. When the organ is cut into, it is of a brownish-red color, and is seen to be made up of a number of closed vesicles containing a yellow, glary fluid, and separated from each other by intermediate connective tissue. The vesicles of the thyroid of the adult animal are generally closed spherical sacs, but in some young animals, for example young dogs, the vesicles are more or less tubular and branched. This appearance is supposed to be due to the mode of growth of the gland, and merely indicates that an increase in the number of vesicles is taking place. Each vesicle is lined by a single layer of cubical epithelium. There does not appear to be a basement membrane, so that the epithelial cells are in direct contact with the connective tissue reticulum which supports the acini. The vesicles are of various sizes and shapes, and contain as a normal product a viscid, homogeneous, semi-fluid, slightly yellowish, colloid material. Red corpuscles are found in it in various stages of disintegration and decolorization, the yellow tinge being probably due to the hemoglobin, which is thus set free from the colored corpuscles. The colloid material contains an iodine compound, iodothyrin, and is readily stained by eosin. According to Bensley, the thyroid gland prepares and secretes into the vascular channels a substance formed under normal conditions in the outer pole of the cell and excreted from it directly without passing by the indirect route through the follicular cavity. In addition to this direct mode of secretion, there is an indirect mode, which consists in the condensation of the secretion into the form of droplets, having high content of solids, and the extension of these droplets into the follicular cavity. These droplets are formed in the same zone of the cell as that in which the primary or direct secretion is formed. This internal secretion of the thyroid is supposed to contain a specific hormone which acts as a chemical stimulus to other tissues, increasing their metabolism. Vessels and Nerves The arteries supplying the thyroid gland are the superior and inferior thyroids, 
and sometimes an additional branch, thyroidia ema, from the innominate artery, or the arch of the aorta, which ascends upon the front of the trachea. The arteries are remarkable for their large size and frequent anastomoses. The veins form a plexus on the surface of the gland and on the front of the trachea. From this plexus, the superior, middle, and inferior thyroid veins arise. The superior and middle end in the internal jugular, the inferior in the innominate vein. The capillary blood vessels form a dense plexus in the connective tissue around the vesicles, between the epithelium of the vesicles and the endothelium of the lymphatics, which surround a greater or smaller part of the circumference of the vesicle. The lymphatic vessels run in the interlobular connective tissue, not uncommonly surrounding the arteries which they accompany, and communicate with the network in the capsule of the gland. They may contain colloid material. They end in the thoracic and right lymphatic trunks. The nerves are derived from the middle and inferior cervical ganglia of the sympathetic. The parathyroid glands. The parathyroid glands are small, brownish-red bodies, situated, as a rule, between the posterior borders of the lateral lobes of the thyroid gland and its capsule. They differ from it in structure, being composed of masses of cells arranged in a more or less columnar fashion, with numerous intervening capillaries. They measure, on an average, about 6 mm in length, and from 3 to 4 mm in breadth, and usually present the appearance of flattened oval discs. They are divided, according to their situation, into superior and inferior. The superior, usually two in number, are the more constant in position, and are situated, one on either side, at the level of the lower border of the cricoid cartilage, behind the junction of the pharynx and esophagus. The inferior, also usually two in number, may be applied to the lower edge of the lateral lobes, or placed at some little distance below the thyroid glands, or found in relation to one of the inferior thyroid veins. In man, they number four as a rule. Fewer than four were found in less than one percent of over a thousand persons, papyri, but more than four and over thirty-three percent of a hundred and twenty-two bodies examined by Civilleri. In addition, numerous minute islands of parathyroid tissue may be found scattered in the connective tissue and fat of the neck around the parathyroid glands proper, and quite distinct from them. Development. The parathyroid bodies are developed as outgrowths from the third and fourth branchial pouches. A pair of diverticula arise from the fifth branchial pouch and formed what are termed the ultimobranchial bodies. These fuse with the thyroid gland, but probably contribute no true thyroid tissue. Structure. Microscopically, the parathyroids consist of intercommunicating columns of cells supported by connective tissue containing a rich supply of blood capillaries. Most of the cells are clear, but some, larger in size, contain oxyphil granules. Vesicles containing colloid have been described as occurring in the parathyroid, but the observation has not been confirmed. No doubt the parathyroid glands produce an internal secretion essential to the well-being of the human economy but it is still a matter of dispute what symptoms of disease are produced by their removal and suppression of their secretion. Papari believes that they show signs of exceptional activity during pregnancy, and that parathyroid insufficiency is a main factor in the production of tetany in infants and adults, of eclampsia, and of certain sorts of fits. It is probable that the tetany following parathyroidectomy is due to the accumulation of ammonium carbonate, and Kendall has suggested that the function of the parathyroid is to convert ammonium carbonate into urea. End of section 42